I'm Roger Baker, Executive Director of the Stratfor Center for Applied Geopolitics at RAIN, a global center of excellence for geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Learn how you can put geopolitics to work for your organization at rainnetwork.com. As a global business, and I think anybody who's, who, who has the responsibility for a global business will agree, oftentimes it's not your competitors that have the most impact on your business. It's, it's the government or governments, plural. Welcome to the Rain Insights Podcast Series. In today's episode of the Cyber Survival Podcast, David Lawrence speaks to Chris Reynolds, the Executive Vice President and Chief Administrative Officer at Toyota. Reynolds is responsible for a whole roster of departments at Toyota, including managing global risk. The conversation that follows is a broad-ranging look at global corporate risk, with insights on how businesses can build resiliency and manage ever-evolving risks such as climate chains, supply chains, and of course, cyber risks. Chris, it truly is a great uh, pleasure and honor to be able to have a conversation with you. Uh, and the fact that you're even willing to speak to me after knowing me for uh, now about 30 years. Uh, so thank you. Um, you've had a great career, um, both in private practice, distinguished career at the U.S. Attorney's Office, Southern District, um, leading the employment practice at a uh, leading law firm, and uh, obviously a very significant um, series of positions at uh, Toyota. And uh, I cannot um, think of anyone uh, better positioned um, to talk about the risk environment for a global company than you uh, and the experiences that you've had and, quite frankly, the not only the lessons that you've acquired, but the lessons that you've passed on to so many people in terms of sharing your knowledge. So long-winded way of saying welcome and, and, and thank you for joining us. Well, David, it's very, very hard for me to turn down my former boss at the U.S. Attorney's Office. And, uh, you know, you ask and I'll, I'll do my best. So let's get into it. All right. So let's be clear. I, I was never your boss. We worked together. Let's begin, Chris. Um, you've had a multifaceted career. You're still young. Uh, you're very actively involved. Would love to sort of get your sense of uh, a seemingly simple question, but it, it's complex. What does it mean for a global company to think about and to think about managing risk in the current environment. And just maybe to set the stage, there'll be more aspects, but a global company now has to deal with everything from cyber concerns, geopolitical concerns, physical security, supply chain, um, what I'll refer to as a very activist NGO community that looks at everything from labor to uh, uh, what I'll refer to as resource standards, uh, the issues around workplace and workplace conduct, uh, issues that are uh, profound about legal and regulatory risks and investigations and enforcement actions. You have worn many hats. Would love to just begin to hear from you about the evolution of your thinking and uh, about what it means to manage risk in the current environment. Well, David, thank you. I, I do have a few thoughts. And I guess first and foremost is that 
you know, before and I, before the current era, let's call it, um, I think people thought of risk as something that was internally focused. In other words, uh, risks within operations or risks to a particular market or, or risks related to a particular product. I, I think the, the current environment that a global company is in forces you know, the, the responsible executive, responsible leader to look far afield from the four corners of whatever that business model might be for that given global company and to recognize that you have to have the equivalent of, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a kid of the atomic age, a distant early warning system that, that enables you to see things coming from a long way off and from directions that maybe don't immediately say to you, well, that's where the threat is going to come from. So, you know, the, the, the first big iteration is, you know, managing risk these days requires a, a broad field of view that enables you to kind of pick up your issue telescope and hone in on something that you see coming a long way off. Otherwise, you'll get surprised by things that, you know, you're wondering, why is this happening in my company? But then you figure out, ah, when they pass that regulation in the EU, maybe I should have figured out that that's going to be an avenue of attack by a regulator that I didn't even know. And, and so that, that sensing system is critically important to being a good risk manager. I think the second thing, if I could, that I would add is that's not a one-person outfit. That's not, that's not your responsibility alone. You may be responsible for it, but, but you need help to do that. So you need the right internal resources to do that sensing. You need the right external resources to do that sensing. And you, know, you have to persuade your, your executive colleagues of the value proposition of having the right kinds of people do the sensing on your behalf. Because there's no way you're going to cover the world, but honestly, that's your job to cover the world. So for those for those reasons, I think that the big shift now is recognizing that there's this you know external driver of risk, and that there's really no longer a distinction between what I'll call internal operational risk and these external factors. In in the current world, they absolutely positively blend together, and you have to be ready for it. So let me um, unpack there a couple of nuggets there. Um, first of all, how do you or how does your broad team continue to be able to be informed and to think about what it is you should be thinking about? And it's interesting because uh, as you were speaking, I was reminded of Wayne Gretzky and his uh, great statement about um, answering why he had been so successful and how he'd been such a prolific scorer. He uh, spoke to the fact that he doesn't skate to where the puck is, but he skates to where the puck is going. So how do you begin to take in, we'll call it the guidance, the information of where some risk may be looming, you know, down the road, around the corner? Well, first off, you know, I think I, I, I like that Gretzky quote because I think what it does is it, it sets up the, the visual that the job of a, of a good risk manager is to anticipate. And while you can't anticipate everything, you can anticipate a lot by watching peer companies, by watching uh, businesses in similar situations or in similar regions and take lessons from what you see, take lessons from successes, certainly take lessons from mistakes. 
And one of the sort of more powerful tools that, that I like to use in sort of my risk management function is to observe when a company gets hit by a risk. Let's say it's a, a climate risk. You know, a major facility is literally underwater due to some a catastrophic flood. Uh, that might prompt uh, a, a call or an email from me to the relevant colleague executive to say, hey, have you, uh, you know, have you thought about whether this facility is vulnerable to that kind of catastrophe? And what have we done to think through and potentially countermeasure that risk? And sometimes that question is all you need. You might get the answer, gee, I haven't thought about that before. Let me get on that. Or don't worry, Chris, we've got that covered. But what you're essentially doing is, you know, taking you know, the good and the bad that you see happening to other companies and just m mapping that against your own vulnerabilities. And I, and I think you've got to, again, have a, a broad perspective. Don't assume that because it's not happening in your industry, it won't happen to you. If you're a global company, you've got more in common probably with other global companies outside of your industry than you do inside of your industry. So that, that sort of, again, that sensing, that relying on input from uh, you know, a variety of sources, not just internal, but also external, that's, that's super critical. And then again, asking that question, have you seen this before? Are we ready? You know, what's your assessment? And then out of those kinds of conversations, real sort of countermeasure and risk management begin. Helpful. And you also um, referenced in your earlier remarks, um, the ability to speak with people and for them to understand why you were, I'm paraphrasing now, why certain things might matter, why you were asking the questions that you were asking. And that's almost a, a, a cultural issue uh, because uh, very often we've, we've seen examples of this, Chris, where people within organizations have raised their hands, um, have tried to highlight certain issues and only to be I won't even say ignored, but overlooked. And uh, in large part, you know, that's one of the reasons why the body of law around whistleblowers has emerged uh, as such a successful financial model. And so maybe you could speak um, a little bit about um, what I'll refer to as that process by which, um, you know, people can understand why these things matter, why certain questions are being asked, why certain preparations are important. Well, I, I think there are almost off the shelf uh, a bunch of models that, that any good senior risk manager executive can use to bucket and categorize um, risk. And you know, I think one of the things that make people shy away from risk or, or make people not want to hear about it is you know, everything's a risk, right? And, and risk is not just negative, it could be also positive and opportunity. Honestly, though, the ones that, that I worry about are the negative ones. Usually my, my colleagues in the business are all over the positive opportunities. It's, it's the negative ones that, that could like, kill you. So what, we, what, what I like to do is give each of my colleague managers and executives a framework, a bucketing of risks, and it may vary from company to company, uh, we use the FOREST model, F-O-R-R-E-S-T. I won't get all the acronyms right, but you know, F for financial, O for operational, regulatory, uh, reputational, uh, enterprise, 
strategic, I believe in technological, so maybe I did get it all right. And, and that just gives a framework for you know, a very busy executive to sort of bucket her perception of what's going on around her. And then using that, that categorization, you're able to rank and prioritize. So, you know, I've, I've seen systems where people identify literally thousands of risks. Well, that's good. You've identified thousands of them. But what you really need to hone in on are the ones that are highly uh, impactful, probably in a negative way, and most likely. And then you can sort of do a great sort of those risks based on that and, and countermeasure appropriately. Um, this is not meant to um, be a advertisement for uh, Toyota, but it is truly is and has been studied to be one of the great companies in the world and has sustained that reputation through many different business cycles and we'll call it uh, geopolitical events, etc. And I believe um, there was a book, if I remember correctly, Chris, uh, back in the early 2000 time, maybe three or four, 2003, 2004, called the Toyota Way 14 Management Principles from the World's Greatest Manufacturer. And um, yours is a company that's been studied. I'm not going to go into the management, the 14 management principles, but I do know that uh, part of the culture that has been emphasized by, obviously, you and your predecessors and no doubt, you know, whoever uh, becomes your, your successor is respect for people and continuous improvement. And um, the notion of continuous improvement and respect for people uh, seems to touch upon what you've said. Uh, people within a corporation will have all sorts of perspectives and ideas about what's working, what's not, uh, what keeps them up at night and things like that and the ability to actually draw draw from that body of knowledge and, and to have people who are willing to speak about what's happening and what could happen but this notion of continuous improvement that nothing is you know static that nothing exists that can't be improved upon well you know thank you uh, for, for citing those two core principles uh, we live by them you know, one shorthand way for continuous improvement is, you know, no best, only better. You know, we, we, we don't ever admit that we're the best. We, we just focus on what we can make better. So uh, I think um, the, you know, the way that that gets filtered through risk management principles is a, a, a recognition that we ought to be able to anticipate at least things that others have seen before. And we ought to have, again, I say these sensing systems or these data inputs that let us know uh, where you know certain extrinsic risks may be coming from. And you know, thank you for saying we're a great company, but you know we sort of backed our way into or stumbled into, on occasion, some some pretty significant risks that we didn't see coming. And and the key to continuous improvement is not to kind of marinate in the fact that you missed it, but figure out quickly. Well, what is the gap? What's the what's the thing that we missed? Because inevitably there was something that we missed, and and how do we both countermeasure that gap and also prepare us in the best way for the next thing? Because the other inevitability of being a global company, David, is there's always a next thing. You know, I I, I think from our from our you know respective legal careers, we always know there's always another issue. There's always another. 
problem or adversarial situation. And that's the same thing with risk. You, you think you've got one managed and under control, but man, you better keep your eyes peeled uh, for the next one and watch your risk management system to make sure that it can accommodate you know, what this new risk looks like. And, and I often tell my team, uh, I don't mind if you, you know, present us with something new, some new challenge, some new risk that maybe we haven't thought of, but if you present us with the same one and we, we haven't managed it yet, that's a failure. So, so that's the kind of thinking way, as we say at Toyota, how we approach uh, continuous improvement and respect for people as it applies to risk management. And uh, you've introduced, although you didn't use the word precisely, a certain humility that is necessary uh, about what you know or think you know. And uh, the fact that uh, always an opportunity to do better. So I, I don't want to put too many uh, sports figures into the risk management model, but I am fond of uh, Mike Tyson's um, great risk management quote, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the nose. And the ability and having had, you know, the pleasure to work with you, privilege to work with you, both uh, when you were at a leading law firm and advising Goldman on um, a variety of sensitive uh, employee relations matters, but also obviously, you know, the work that you've done at Toyota. Can you maybe talk a little bit about the qualities that are needed when those surprise events happen? And maybe they've happened before, but they weren't expected to happen again, or they've happened in a different, we'll call it part of the company, uh, different regulator, different, what I refer to, had a different disruptive effect. Some of the qualities that you think are important internally to a company, and, and quite frankly, the personalities of the people who are tasked with responding, preparing for and responding to these types of matters. Well, I thank you for that. I think the, 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 the first core quality is what some people would call wisdom, and what I've now learned is just the accumulation of good memory and pattern recognition. I mean, I think to get through any sort of risk, particularly a negative one, you have to remember the times that you've gone through these things before and essentially convince yourself that if you lived through that instance two, three, four years ago or three, four, five crises ago, you're going to live through this one, and it's that it's that confidence and muscle memory uh, that that allows you to say, you know, it's hackneyed, but it's true. This too shall pass as long as I manage it appropriately. So so not panicking, and relying on the fact that you've gone through this before is important. I mean, to take the Tyson statement a little further, uh, if you get punched in the nose a lot, you actually kind of get used to it. And you can come up with a with a plan once you get punched. I mean, it's 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 painful, but you know you can survive it and and work around it. So so I think you know good risk management, frankly, requires somebody on the team who's gone through some things and understands that you know there'll be good days and bad days. But if you you know like my mom used to say, plan your work and work your plan, uh, you'll get through it. Um, I think the 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 other core uh, uh, sort of capacity is teamwork. So when it comes to managing these these huge risks that are coursing through our current environment, again ranging from you know climate catastrophe to geopolitical conflict uh, to uh, uh, you know significant and rapid economic change 
uh, to uh, terror terrorist incidents. I mean, you really uh, can't do it by yourself. You need to work with teams, uh, internal teams, external teams, and acknowledge and recognize and value expertise. And not your own, but somebody else's. So that requires, uh, thanks for using the word humility, that requires releasing you know, that, that common executive failing that, that you, know, you think you know everything and recognizing what you don't know and being uh, unafraid to reach out for support and help. That's how you're gonna get through the crisis that you didn't expect. There's someone who knows how to deal with that crisis or has some insight for you. Um, hopefully you know who those folks are before the crisis or the risk hits. Uh, but uh, even if you do, you've gotta reach out and, and be in a position to work with them. Uh, and then I think the other uh, quality that's critical for good risk management is uh, uh, understanding how these things are always, always cross-functional in nature. So I, I haven't seen, particularly in, in my global company, any risk that does not involve at least three or four different functions, sometimes wildly different functions. And so one of your uh, key capacities as, as a good risk manager is the ability to sort of wrangle all of these cats, to herd these you know, different functions that are within the same company, but maybe, just maybe, haven't talked to each other in a while and get them to recognize their common interest in managing the risk. And that, that takes, depending on the culture of the company, either a sort of collaborative approach, it might take a command and control kind of approach, but whatever the approach is, you're, you're going to be stepping outside of your function in order to make this risk mitigated. And one thing I've, I've learned is if I'm talking to the same people within my own function, I'm probably not managing the risk well. So I particularly like the notion of panic does not uh, improve a situation. And also um, implied in your comments uh, is the fact that the people that you actually want around the table are the people who have uh, what I refer to as scar tissue from prior situations and who have learned something along the way. Uh, very often, and I'll, I'll digress for one second, Chris, because I know you spent a fair amount of time um, in, in Washington. Part of this is a, it's an important dialogue and communication pathway that is needed between the corporate world and the government is that um, there's a very often a lack of understanding of each other's jobs and uh, responsibilities. Uh, but also, um, within the Washington environment, there are often, to that end, people who have never had to deal with certain issues in what I refer to as the global marketplace, conducting business, dealing with other political regimes, and, and basically the, the types of... Maybe you can uh, speak a little bit about the fact that, I, and I've witnessed this, you have spent time in a calm way explaining to people uh, who are outside your company, and that includes regulators but, and lawmakers, but also even the lawyers who work on your behalf outside counsel, sort of how the business works and what the, I'll call it the business reality, political reality, geopolitical reality, cyber reality, et cetera, is. And maybe you can talk about that aspect of managing risk, the job as an ambassador or educator 
uh, around these issues? Sure. Um, it, it, I'd add another word to that. You know, one's job as an advocate. And, you know, the one of the ways you know this, David, uh, I know this about you, to be an effective advocate is to, you know, try and establish a relationship based on empathy and understanding the other person's position. So, you know, a regulator or a lawmaker, uh, honestly, they may not be interested in preserving your business. They may be interested in, you know, public profile or making a point or uh, uh, positioning the, your company as a deterrent to other companies. And you, you have to understand, well, what is the perspective of the person that I'm talking to? And then approach, approach that regulator or that lawmaker from that perspective. And then try and explain to them, you know, openly and candidly without trying to be clever, you know, what are, what are the real world either constraints or variables that shape your behavior, that shape your action? It may not necessarily, you know, convince that, that given person to, frankly, cut you some slack or take a different approach, but at least you're having, you know, a dialogue and you're establishing the bases of a relationship, which which, by the way, will, will help you even if the situation does turn negative, maybe with a negative outcome. There are negative outcomes that can be handled and ones that, that can't be handled. And sometimes your role as an as a educator, as an advocate, uh, it means that you're trying to get to that less, less negative outcome. I mean, that's, that's really part of the job. Uh, I think the wrong approach, just to be clear about it, is to come to that uh, regulator, that lawmaker, and, and just start off with the proposition that you don't know what you're talking about. Let me explain to you how this works. That never goes over well, almost in any situation. So, so understanding, you know, w what is it that is driving and informing, say, this governmental action, uh, you know, and, and explaining that to your internal stakeholders as well, who may feel very exercised about why, why they might be singled out, that's, that's part of the job. And then, then you can start crafting talking points, uh, communication themes, solutions that, that, that help mitigate the risk. Uh, you know, you, you, you really are sometimes an ambassador and a diplomat, and, and what you're doing in that role is bridging perspectives, your company's perspective, which may be very different from uh, you know, the, the lawmaker's perspective or the regulator's perspective. Just one additional point, as a global business, and I think anybody who's, who, who has the responsibility for a global business will agree, oftentimes it's not your competitors that have the most impact on your business. It's, it's the government or governments plural. And when, you know, when you operate like we do in 160 something countries at least, you know, you have to be aware, this is the sensing part, you have to be aware of where you could be vulnerable to governmental action in almost any one of those 160 something countries. That's a task, but it's an achievable task if you have the right resources and, and the right experts to advise you. I hope that's helpful. You actually led into my next question for you because when people think about managing risk, and it was interesting at the beginning of the conversation, everybody has a different definition of risk or what it is. If you were to poll, you know, the Fortune 500 companies and, or, you know, go down to the full list of NASDAQ-listed companies and you were to ask the question, who is your chief risk officer? You'd get a very different answer. 
you'd get a very different answer. You know, what what does it mean to manage risk and how do you define risk at your organization? I remember when I started at Goldman, the chief risk officer had responsibility for the balance sheet. That was their role. Obviously, risk um, has the definition and the responsibilities have grown since then and expanded. But the other aspect are stakeholders. And uh, who are the stakeholders? Obviously, you have shareholders. You have your own employees. Um, the board is a stakeholder. Your regulators are stakeholders. And uh, certainly in the case of great companies, global companies like Toyota, um, the public, uh, your consumers are also stakeholders. And maybe you can just share, you know, as you look at particular issues, Chris, how you think about um, your stakeholders. And a good part of risk management is not just preventing things, responding to things, repairing things, etc. But the communications that are sent to the relevant stakeholders about what you're doing, what happened, and what you're doing. Well, that, that's a very perceptive question. Um, you know, I think I would add one more layer on top of consumers and customers, and that's society, particularly when you have a product as pervasive as an automobile. Um, you, you've got to think even beyond your own customer base to the broader society because your product has an impact uh, on that society, hopefully for the better. Uh, and, it, and to the extent that there are, are negative impacts, you want to eliminate or mitigate those. So, so I think um, just to shorthand this, if, if you're involved in a risk management situation and you, you have this array of stakeholders that you've listed, but the first time that you're talking to them is while you're dealing with this risk, that's going to be a problem. Um, so, you know, one core tenant of good risk management as well as good crisis management, and sometimes those converge, is you always want to maintain good transparent communication with the relevant stakeholders for that risk. Sometimes it is just the shareholders. Sometimes it's the pension funds within the shareholders. Sometimes it's the broader society or a particular government or a particular set of consumers, or a, a, a group of you know, politically motivated NGOs. And, and you know, the, the hard work is to have the, the communication bridges with these stakeholders before you, you are beset by a, a situation that, that has with it some degree of negative risk. Um, and so uh, you, you can't make a friend in the middle of a crisis uh, you can't make a good friend in the middle of a, of a risk that's manifesting itself negatively. But if you, if you have those relationships, you carefully cultivate them and you manage them from the get-go, then you, then you have the ability to walk into somebody's office and say, you know, can we have a conversation about this situation? And, and to do that calmly and, again, without, without arrogance. So, uh, you know, you could do a whole program on stakeholder management. And, and its various throw-offs. But I think one of the core tenets, particularly as it relates to risk, is you got to have those relationships as part of your risk management plan. Um, and and you, can't, you can't wait till the risk manifests itself for, you know, to have those relationships work. You, you have been central to a variety of efforts and discussions at the board level. And maybe you can just give us a, a few quick thoughts about the 
the importance of the role of the board, communications with the board, and leveraging the expertise of the board. Sure. Sorry uh, for the delay. The, um, you know, I've I have had the benefit of working with a marvelous board of directors uh, for Toyota Motor Corporation, uh, composed of people from around the world, uh, from a variety of different backgrounds and perspectives. Um, and I think, you know, the, the key to leveraging the board, particularly in the risk management space, is to understand that each board member brings to you as a risk manager, you know, a, another set of data points that maybe you don't know about. They, they, they must have had different experiences from you uh, simply because they've had, you know, different careers, different, different backgrounds. Maybe they've been employed in another global corporation. Um, you know, in terms of stakeholders, they're, they're one of your most important ones. And how do you manage those stakeholders? You, well, you essentially over-communicate. And, and by over-communicate, I don't mean flood them with detail, but not shy away from, uh, you know, being transparent with them about some of the risks that you see or some of the, you know, far-off risks you're not sure are, are, are relevant to you or not, but then take, take their guidance, take their advice ask ask them the question and that can be done in the context of a one-on-one -on -one conversation if that's appropriate or in a you know in the board meeting and uh, you know i think the the best kind of dialogue a corporate risk executive can have with a board member is precisely that not a report uh, but a dialogue uh, and you know often that conversation just circles around the same two or three questions what have you seen and how does one prepare for that? And do you think we're doing enough to be prepared? And you know, good board members, I've found, uh, will have answers to those questions. And if they don't have the answers, maybe they know someone who does. So uh, you know, if you're involved in you know, real global risk management, you're going to call on all of these resources, including your board members, as, as part of that distant early warning system. And be upfront with them that, that you're not assuming that you know everything. You're relying on their expertise and, and their experience to sort of be, be uh, uh, you know, far, far more farsighted than you can be. And, you know, I think a, a, in my experience, a board member appreciates that. They know that someone's uh, being as open-minded, you know, to where these risks are coming from as they are as board members. That's great. In, uh, just in closing, I want to circle back, Chris, um, to an important point you made um, about stakeholders, and we'll call it the public at large, because um, we can do a whole separate podcast on this, but increasingly, uh, a significant difference in the marketplace is the government is looking to corporations to solve a wide range of problems, and the public is now looking towards corporations and their executives to solve a wide range of problems that are actually societal in nature, uh, but which, you know, uh, without a formal acknowledgement by the government that they, they can't do that or they don't have what I'll refer to as the political support to do something, uh, and the public's own frustration with government officials they are uh, petitioning corporations to do things. And whether uh, 
it's related to climate or issues of social justice and, and social equity, uh, or it's in the basic products that are being produced and being marketed. Management of uh, governmental affairs, being responsible um, to the public, and notions of reputational risk are increasingly important. And so I just, you know, you've had a long career. How have you adjusted your thinking uh, to understand better and anticipate better uh, public concerns as well as governmental concerns? That's a great question, and it's gotten far more complicated in this uh, divisive time, not just in the United States, but uh, globally. There's a, there's a lot of of conflict, societal conflict, political conflict, even among that, that base of people that we would call our consumers. Uh, some consumers feel one way. Uh, other consumers in the same marketplace feel diametrically opposite. So how do you navigate that? Uh, you know, in, in my experience and what I've now learned over time is, you know, a given global company, particularly if it's in the consumer space as we are, has to really grasp onto what is it that you do best? What is your value to the, to the customer, to the consumer, to society generally? In, in Toyota's case, you know, we know that we are a mobility company. Our value is in providing personal mobility solutions to different kinds of customers, drivers all over the world who exist in different markets. And so the closer that we frame, uh, you know, solutions to society's problems to that thing that we're good at, uh, the more successful we're going to be and the less likely we're going to antagonize a given government or antagonize a given set of consumers. So let me give you a very quick example. One of the things that our president, Akio Toyota, talks about is mobility for all. And he, he, he means what he says. I mean, he believes that our company's mission is to provide mobility for everyone. And so wrapped up within that, David, you can immediately see there's an aspect of social justice. You know, we want people, regardless of their background or economic status, to have access to mobility. And, and that might manifest itself in things like manufacturing cars that can be sold at a price point that people without a lot of means can afford. Or it might mean uh, pushing for electric vehicle charging stations in lower income neighborhoods uh, so that they're not exclusively within the domain of the wealthier neighborhoods. Or it, or it might mean making sure that in a, you know, in a given neighborhood there are you know, mobility solutions, not mass transit, but lower scale transit that will get someone from their house to a, to a hospital or from the hospital to the pharmacy. When we hone in on what we've been historically good at, we, we get much better at dealing with problems that our stakeholders say are, are problems they want us to resolve. There's a, a big debate about in the U.S. how to make electric vehicle infrastructure uh, you know, available to everyone. And our view is when we say mobility for all and everyone, it, it needs to be everywhere, including in perhaps neighborhoods that aren't initially thought of as being uh, rapid adopters of EV technology. And so, you know, our position, we need to make sure that that infrastructure play is equitably distributed because it won't work to reduce carbon if only 
people with means and wealth have access to electric uh, electric vehicle infrastructure. So it's it's that linkage right between the product between what we're good at mobility and the aspect of a social justice perspective or an equity perspective. That's when we're good. If we get further afield from that, we we are not nearly as effective. Very often when you have a company that's spending as much as I know Toyota does on research and development, you end up inventing things which are not necessarily germane or relevant to the mobility space, but actually have applications in uh, the medical field, safety and security, the climate challenges around the globe. And so that's not obvious to the most people who know about Toyota, but simply because I'm armed with that knowledge, I do want to reference that as part of the, I'll call it the social mission and your sense of obligations to the public. So Chris, uh, thank you as always uh, for this. I look forward to hopefully continuing the conversation and uh, we'll be posting this podcast with uh, great interest to a wide variety of, uh, of our network members and listeners. So thank you again. Chris Reynolds is the Executive Vice President and Chief Administrative Officer of Toyota. David Lawrence is the founder of Rain. Rain is a global risk intelligence company that delivers risk and security professionals access to critical insights, analysis, and support to ensure business continuity and resiliency for our clients. For more information about Rain's risk management solutions, visit RainNetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E Network.com. Thanks for listening.